welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, artist and abolitionist Christiana joins us for a conversation about radical everyday acts and being a multi-hyphenate artist, which I had never heard of until we chatted. So together we discuss things like radical imagination within abolition and quantum mechanics, the growing pains of creating art and silencing your inner critic, and the difficulty of holding space for transformational justice. And so this is a really powerful episode where we discuss a lot of different problems within our society and how we can kind of maintain our mental health while also being a part of the fight against these problematic structures. And I'm really excited to see all the work that she is going to do in this space as a leader. And I think there's a lot to learn from her energy and her perspective. So tune in. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How comfortable are you with vulnerability? I'm pretty comfortable. Um, I think in terms of the conversation, I'd like to keep it more towards like my art and my activism than my relationship. Because is the relationship, is this the relationship anarchy yeah. piece that your sister? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. I'm into it so far. I'm new to it and kind of understanding it. But I have generally like been into the idea of like no hierarchy which is, you know, a key principle of anarchy I'm learning. But I haven't, I'm not, like, super, I'm pretty well-versed in, like, abolitionist texts and stuff like that, but not anarchist, like, theory or anything like that. Yeah, I try to be as open as possible about being just, like, a beginner and a learner to everything that is life. Yeah, I I feel that. I think some, especially with abolition, it's such a, um, like, it's not, it's such not a concrete concept. You're trying to imagine something that doesn't exist, and you're also trying to, unimagine the things that already exist so it's like no one has the answers but it's like the conversations that are important so coming to the fact that's okay that we're all learning could you tell me more about that (laughs) yeah I'm obviously heavily interested in abolition interested feels like a feels like the wrong word but like I identify as like an abolitionist or a student of abolition um because it's something I'm constantly learning and because I'm still living within the systems. A turning point for me was like my sophomore year of college, taking this class, Carceral Studies. I was already interested in like, or interested again, such a weird word, but invested in like police brutality and the prison industrial complex from like my own research slash just like my own blackness. But being in this class really made me understand from like a historical point of view how reform has been so so dangerous and so detrimental it's not just ineffective but like it further entrenches the racism and makes the systems that much harder to be eradicated 
in the first place. So that's when I really like started like, to lean into the idea of like, like reform is not just ineffective, it's violent, and abolition is really like the only method. It, but there's a million different ways of being an abolitionist, so it's not like it's restrictive, but it's a guiding concept or ideal. Okay. Could you say more about what the ideals are? Yeah, I think for me, abolition is, it's love, it's creation. That's something that's been huge for me, especially as, like, leaning more into being an artist. Like, creation is inherently destruction, so trying to figure out a way where we're not just getting so caught up fighting the systems that we forget to try to build our own. So, like, abolition to me is, it's a world without police, it's a world where we don't have to be transactional, it's a world where we're all guaranteed life and well-being based on just existing. Yeah, it centers community, but it also allows for a million different perspectives, but as long as, like, the people's needs and well-being are centered, like, that's at the forefront of it all. It's really hard to describe because it's not concrete, you know? Mm. you're, You're imagining, so you're trying to describe everyone's imagination, And you're trying to even feel free enough to imagine something other than what we're in and imagine outside of what we're in. So it's a never-ending kind of process and learning and unlearning. And it's deeply connected to your understanding of being an artist. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think think as much as words have power and words, art can be words. But thinking about, like, visual art, as much as words have power, like, we're so much more used to like applying our own meaning to something that's visual, you know, and allowing for multiple meanings of something in the visual context to emote and like explain these really complex ideals, I feel like has so much value. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Yeah. And and it's just imagination. Like I got really into this idea maybe a year ago of radical imagination. I think I like saw a talk by Angela Davis where she said, like, the beauty of the artist or the importance of the artist in the revolution is that they remind us it's it's possible to create something completely new. And I'm like, ah, like, that's amazing. Like, it is possible to create something new. I just made this thing, you know? So just, like, allowing yourself to imagine. My big thing right now is nothing is realistic. So, like, stop telling me to be realistic, you know? There's no such thing as realistic. We're living... If you told me like two years ago that I would graduate online and would be in a pandemic and have to wear a face mask and like be confined to my house for months or year, like I wouldn't have believed it. So if that's toss anything, nothing's realistic. So everything's realistic. Right. Okay. (laughs) Radical imagination. Yeah. Did you coin that yourself or is this a term that's like in the community? You know, I think I thought I did. It's definitely, <laughs> I think I remember saying it and being like, oh, that's it. Like, but no, funny. it is definitely a very coined term that is not new to me. I like had a reading in a class that was like radical imagination. I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> I've never heard this term. Would you be able to explain more to me? Toni Morrison, I think, talks about a lot, but talking about how we can't only imagine a new society within the bounds of the oppression we're in right now. So that's like, again, kind of like what reform looks like, kind of what, what like voting looks like, which is not, I'm not anti-voting, but to act as if like that is radical change. You can't create radical change within these bounds. Radical imagination is like inviting yourself to imagine something that exists completely outside of the systems that we're trying to fight now. So, and and now art. 
Yes. How, how how are these things inter – I mean, I, these are amazing, beautiful, deep ideas, but how do you actually synthesize them to make things that are a part of this movement? Hmm. I made like a radical imagination workbook. The idea was you have like a bunch of blank pages and like a bunch of prompts where it's like imagine – like, what would you want the world to look like? It's just having these discussions and inviting, like, people to imagine beyond. I always say, like, I would love to have discussions with people where you start saying, like, okay, nothing nothing is off the table. Nothing isn't realistic. And if you don't see something happening, think of, like, three ways in which it could. Like, in terms of art, stuff like like Octavia Butler, like, her writing, like, using, like, sci-fi to talk about how to talk about, like, issues of, like, racism and, like, in this whole other, like, universe, literally creating a new world. It's something I've been trying to lean into more in my art, but my art mostly has been focused on, like, communicating those feelings, if that makes sense. So, like, I recently did a fine art book called, like, can I curse? Is that allowed here? Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, my. Is it? Yes. This podcast has sex, drugs, cursing, and literally everything. You can do whatever you I want. I figured. Um, it's the fuck your dinner book. So a big thing, and it went kind of viral, was at some protests that I attended marching past outdoor dining in the city, and which are like these like big like like plywood and plexiglass like structures that are in the street now for outdoor dining in New York City at least and I think in other cities as well and marching through the street and everyone like yelling like fuck your dinner at the outdoor diners which like I understood the meaning of you know it it didn't it wasn't lost on me but I think there was a lot of confusion and I was like let me make a fine art book about this so I made a book where like each page was like really like represented like the tactileness of a of the um of the structure so it was made out of plywood it had a plexiglass cover like I spray painted fuck your dinner on the back and the first page was like made out of masks and then I wrote on the pages and like I had it like typed out and kind of wrapped around like different images like predominantly um higher income white people eating out without masks in large groups served on by predominantly lower income black and brown people still during a pandemic, talking about how... And then, like, I did a page that was wealth disparity, so I glued together a bunch of, like, dollar bills and, like, painted that and wrote on it about how, again, like, the higher income, disposable income, work from home if you get sick, access to health care, whereas the people who are serving you have to be there to, you know, survive, but at the same time, you're you're at such a place of privilege and how are you are you tipping extra are you are you going in large groups are you going in multiple households like this was you know in like height of pandemic this was like in they opened indoor dining this past winter in new york so and then the last page was plexiglass and it had images of the structures and talked about like the homelessness mm. issue in new york city and how we popped up all these structures like that when it was for to for the restaurant industry for consumption versus like mm-hmm. would you support these structures in your neighborhood if they were to house people or would they be eyesores then you know and it, they're eyesores now they're not pretty but you get to go have like a margarita in them so <laughs> that was a, kind of like a turning point for me and kind of like a thesis of everything that I was talking about in my thesis having the like physical like tactile nature of the book really add to the meaning 
as much as the words did, like not not getting so caught up in the words that I devalued the meaning and like missed out an opportunity for the meaning through something more like experiential. But I had I was I was really happy with that book. I shared it on my Instagram and I got a lot of really good feedback. How does one even begin to make a project like this? I was in a book arts class, which was amazing because I had access to a great studio space in terms of I could cut plywood. Like, I can't do I My apartment is so small and I don't have a jack, like a jigsaw, so. Well, yeah, but those are the supplies. Like, you could put me in that space and, yeah, I could have a jigsaw, but, like, I still wouldn't make what you just made. (laughs) And so I'm just curious like how do you get the energy Uh, the the ideas the direction yeah because I think that's definitely something that is unique to you as an artist specifically whatever vision you're seeing and so I don't mean that question lightly like how do you really get the energy to make something like this and actually create yeah I mean with this project in particular I think it was just kind of something I saw in terms of my background, like, I grew up in a, like, pretty very conservative, pretty bigoted, probably very bigoted area, and, like, not to make light out of that in any way, but I do think it gave me, like, I don't know, a hyper-awareness, maybe, of different people's reactions. As we protested and people were yelling, fuck your dinner, I was like, I think that people aren't really getting this. And I also think that it's not the job of these protesters to make these white people, like, in their bubble get it. I don't I, I don't fault the protesters at all for that, but I was like, where's like somewhere where I can extend this thought a little more? And I was like, what can I make that like someone who's coming from like an outdoor brunch in Williamsburg who's not wearing a mask would like stop in the ga- gallery and look at it, <laughs> which is ridiculous, but it's true. And yeah, that's kind of where I came up with the idea. And I think it was also just like at the time I was talking so much about like visual versus verbal communication as I was getting ready to like present my colloquium for my program and I was like oh this is a verbal communication but I feel like it's just missing if I could translate this into the visual I feel like it could really like the tactile nature of the buildings would be like a reminder of the tactile nature of the book like it all felt really really connected and then in terms of just like creating in general it's I think my sister actually said this to me. Someone said this to me. But, like, the art, whether or not you share it, you're going to make it. Like, it's not an option, you know? Like, you have to make it. And I I really feel that way. Even though I haven't self-identified as an artist for long. I've been an artist for a long time. Like, I've been making things. And I always feel better when I make things, too. It's interesting because you said whether you share it or not, you have to make it, but then equally said that you haven't identified as an artist for that long. Yeah. Which these are dualities here, right? I mean, and I think that at least for me personally, thinking about my expression with my art, I have not been making art for so long because my own anxiety and internal sense of like perfectionism has not allowed me to make anything for years. Yeah. And so like even that statement of you have to make it, I I have not complied with that. So I think it's interesting. How did you get to the space of actually doing it and trusting yourself to actually make art and be an artist? Yeah. Ooh. I guess, I mean, I've I've always been making art, I guess, but mm, I don't know. I think coming to the realization that you don't have to share it was huge for me because then that, that allows you to create without feeling like it has to be, like, good, mm-hmm. like, quote-unquote good. 
it's also like deconstructing what even is good seeing a lot more art seeing a lot more art has been helpful for me because i'm like oh i can make that wait but i still really enjoy that oh wait it's not a competition like you know it really really like just appreciating redefining what art even is like Mm. like i don't know like sitting and like looking at the way like the sun hits like a leaf and like the breeze and you're just staring at it and it's like wow me noticing right this right now or me experiencing this right now is art I was a dancer and cheer. I was like a competitive like cheerleader, and then I just kind of transitioned to dance in high school. And I think all of those things, in a way, were art, but I just didn't know. Especially the dance, but even the cheer, even though it was like very rigid and routines, it, it was. And and the way I got to perform and express myself, like it was an art, and I didn't even know it. Yes, I would completely agree with that. That you're hitting a lot of points that I equally have been resonating with of what is art, right? I would say that I'm also a yoga instructor and I make up my own sequence as I teach every time on the spot and I would call that art, right? Yeah. Even something like therapy, it really is a art and dance of holding space to allow the client to speak versus choosing when you come into the conversation and kind of direct them in a different way. Yes. That's art. That's not easy. You have to like be dynamic and fluid in those movements. So I don't know. I've just been thinking about that a lot too, but equally still struggling with even if I don't share something, I still have an inner critic that I don't know how like how have you learned to let that go? I I want to take from your wisdom because I need help. Oh. <laughs> you know? I haven't. Just big yeah, to make okay. it pretend <laughs> Talk about your talk about your art like you think it's good, and then other people will think you think it's good, but you really know. <laughs> you look hilarious. back at it and you're like, "Ah, oh. <laughs> I know." Well, that's the thing, though. It's like then, how do we enjoy the process? I don't know. It, 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 yeah, let me know if you find out how not to be tortured. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, have you heard of the artist way? I have, and I don't know why I can't do. It. I can't do it. Every I've read like two pages of it. I've owned the book for two years. That's hilarious. I've just never done it. (laughs) Well, that's the whole point of the book, though, is like, how do you let go of your inner... Yeah, I'm like just gonna let you sit in that. You know, it's right there—the yeah. book that could help you, and you have owned it for two years, <laughs> and it has sat on your whatever. You know, like why do you think you haven't cracked it? I don't know. I think honestly, I'm just bad with routine unless it's forced. I think another thing that has helped me identify as an artist is making a lot more art. But I, why I made a lot more art is because I finished all of my like gen ed requirements my first two years and then took a ton of art classes and was forced to do so much art which was amazing but I needed that structure so I think that's going to be a thing too like figuring out in my post-grad life like how to create that because most of the art I've made I've made through a class and it's been stuff that I wanted to make otherwise but now I had the structure and the deadlines wow yeah that's a really good point I never thought about because I've never had art taught to me. So I've never had a structure or a deadline, but you've always had one. Mm -hmm. So now coming out of that, you're going to have to like find the desire and the urge to actually push from just an idea to actually create things. Yeah. I mean, so things that have been helping me so far, I have friends who make art too. And just having, just having them as friends is one, but also like scheduling art dates where we just like go and make our things together, like sit in the park and make our things that's literally in the artist way. That's why I'm over here. <laughs> Maybe like I don't even need to read it. Part of what you need to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, you're already doing it. It's always like you need to have an artist date once a week. Kind of resonate it with it a lot that everyone has 
an inner artist. Everyone mm-hmm. has the ability and the desire to create. We've just been told different messages along the way of yours isn't good or yours doesn't hit expectations, so we stop doing it. And yep. that typically, you know, childhood, whenever that starts to happen. But yeah, just thinking about even, you know, anxiety. People with anxiety just have such creative minds directed at the wrong things, mm-hmm. like the the negative outcomes that could happen. When in reality, we're just amazing storytellers. You know, like what if we really rethink our creativity and like I would love to I mean, like I suffer from anxiety, so I don't want to like discredit the struggle of that. But equally, like there's a lot of power that I think if we reshifted how we looked at these things, we could find like beauty in the way that our brains work instead of looking at it as a disease. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying right now to me is radical imagination, like that we're all artists and that yes. we all lose this ability and have, like, you know, like, being out of us the ability to create. And I don't, I guess where radical imagination to me comes in as radical is, like, I don't think that's a mistake. I don't think that's something that just happens. I think it's, like, very intentional and, like, a form of oppression. Capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because if you make this art, the only way that you can stay an artist is if you make money from it. Yeah. So now the question then is you make the art and then you go, can I sell this? And if the answer is no, then you stop doing it. Yeah. Like how much of our value system of what is good or bad is based on like the inherent trying to assess whether other people would like it. I really think that is capitalism just like living deeply internalized within us. Yeah, I totally agree. I actually um, was like employed. I like was like so excited, like my dream job being a graphic designer and I hated it. Like, really? n- no fault of the company, but it just being a creative in a, such a corporate setting was, like, really, like, oppressive to my creativity. Like, you know, I do a circle, they want a square. I, I, there's a color palette. There's a font, you know? And it's not my style. It's not the way I like it. But this is how they want it. And which is the reality of being a creative in a corporate space most of the time, unless you're, like, have like somehow held on to your creativity enough to get to the very top where you get to decide what the colors are yeah for me I just got a job being a teacher so that's totally different not totally different it's still very much a creative job but it's not so much in like an obvious way and it's been the best thing for my creativity and for my art and for everything to like detach my art from an income and detached my art from, like, a place of need to a place of want has been a game changer. Yeah, tell me more. Just being able to make art and not feel like I have to commodify it or make anything. Yeah, there's no... I can just make something to make something, and I've been making things to just, like, share with people, which is part of why I like making art. I think it's different for every artist. I think some people can just make it just for themselves. For me, part of it is sharing it, but which I used to think was bad or, like, made me more critical, but I don't think it is. I think what made me more critical is feeling like I needed validation from the sharing. I just like the sharing part, you know? And I think that's part of the art, too, like the art in conversation. How did you learn to get validation internally instead of from sharing? That's huge. I don't think my issue was knowing liking my art I mean that's my issue now looking back at my art from like a few months ago but in the moment I don't think (laughs) my issue was liking my art it was like well other people like it and then that would have me doubting if I would like it but then when I realized oh I, I do like it and it doesn't matter really if other people like it 
that's exactly right there. That's what I'm asking you. How did you get to that? Because that is a journey. I don't know. I don't feel like I... Did you always love your art? Like when you were making it as a as throughout your career, were you always just like, yep, I'm really good at this. Like I like this. I make this. This is badass. Yes and no. I think when I would first make something, I always like when I look back at like the things I made in like my first ever digital art class, I remember making them and being like, this is sick and now I'm like oh my god (laughs) but or I would be like this is sick and then I would get to the critique with my classmates and then they would make things that are way cooler and then I'd be like oh is mine good like I think comparison was definitely like duh that's like such like a trope but like comparison is the death of happiness or whatever like or satisfaction but I think comparison was definitely hard for me in in first starting and like sharing what I made and then I think I just didn't share for a long time, and then I just, like, did. I started doing art for, like, digital art for some of the presidential campaigns. And oh, cool. I, yeah, I was doing it for, like, Cory Booker for a little bit for, like, college campuses. I did the digital art, and I didn't think of it so much as, like, having so much uh, weight, and I didn't connect it to me so inherently, too. So, and then I was sharing it, and then I was, like, meeting people from the campaign team, and they were like, this is amazing what you you taught yourself, and then I got, like, that, like, not validation from other people, but validation from, like, people who are, like, industry, like, professional, like, people, graphic designers, creative coordinators, like, people who are, like, really doing this stuff, and I was like, wait, and then I started sharing more. I think by the time I started sharing, I had already felt, like, a little bit validated. Yes from the people who saw the work that you were creating and its value and then mirrored it back to you to change your internal sense of what you could do. Yeah, that was actually, that was a game-changing point. I went to a campaign event and the, like, creative director of his campaign or, like, the social media director or something like that of his campaign was like, no, you made those graphics? Like, I can't believe that. And at the time, I hadn't started taking graphic design yet. I was, like, self-taught. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm thinking about picking up a minor in it. And she was like, a minor? Like, this is amazing. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I literally almost started crying. I was like, this is so validating. Thank you. Yeah, that was a game changer. I actually forgot about that until right now. But that was a game changer. Wow. Yeah. Already love that person that they saw the beauty in you and had the like just inherent sense to communicate that because I've been trying to incorporate that more in my life. Like when you see beauty in other people, tell them because we are all insecure and doubt our abilities all the time. And so it's so, so, so important when you see other people doing really awesome stuff just to be like, what you're doing is so cool. Yeah. And that is so powerful because look at that one person, one conversation, and you integrated that into doing the work and the major that you did now, no longer a minor. And this is ultimately changing your whole future as an artist and just a person in this world. Yeah, no, I think that's like invaluable to, yeah, tell people when they're good at something. It's like this is loosely related, but me and my roommate were walking down the street and someone like stopped her and we're like, I'm love your outfit and then we were like wow I forgot we could like talk to people on the sidewalk so now every time I see someone with a cool outfit which is a lot there's so many like cool people with these dope outfits and I think in my head like oh my god that outfit and now I'm like hey your outfit looks dope 
And I'm like, that feels really, like, I don't know, powerful, even though it's so, like, you know, it's such a little thing. But when someone, like, pulls me aside on the street and says my outfit looks good, especially in New York, I'm walking, like, with a new with a new step. You know why that probably feels radical is because we've been taught that it's a competition-based society. Yeah. That it's, you know, survival of the fittest. All these other concepts that have really, like, taught us that to get to the top, you cannot celebrate the other people alongside exactly. with you. You need to be better than them. So, like – when you really internalize that to a deep value, it's like, why would I compliment this person on the street when I'm actually secretly jealous of their outfit and wish I had it, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And like just that over time and years, now we just don't compliment other people and we internalize that level of judgment then to ourselves mm-hmm. and then we're just like, whew, it's a deep spiral to get out of. But like, I do think getting out of it is doing small acts like that of just like, hey, I can compliment someone and it doesn't take away from my value at all. Yeah, exactly. And it's never that conscious, conscious, at least for me either. Like, it's not like, no, I'm like, oh my God, I wish I was her. But I'm just like, oh my God, like, wait, that kind of felt good. You know, like, it's, it's, it's nice to, to hype everyone up, to be like everyone's hype woman is a goal. (laughs) Low-key, that's what I hope to do on the podcast. I guess it's not low-key, it's high-key. This is, like, the whole (laughs) point of the podcast is, like, there's so many people that uh, live in this world, and we all think that everyone around us has the same structure and perspective. You know, like, I interview someone on fundamental Christianity, and they talk about all these ideas and things and things and think that everyone else sees this world the same way they do. Mm -hmm. But inherently, we are so incredibly unique. We're, like, such an algamation of all these different experiences that makes every person's head literally a beautiful art that I want to tap into. Like, Mm -hmm. how are you the person you are today? and how do you see the world that is art you are a history of different moments maybe that same way you were talking about earlier of looking at leaves and the way that they shine the sun shines on them i want to apply that level of detail to people Mm -hmm. and just the beauty that is their experience because someone like you when someone says a compliment like that it's really easy for our internal anxiety then just be like oh but they don't know Mm -hmm. I don't know, but it just depends, I think, too. Like, it has to feel really genuine. Like, for me, like, with her, she was just, like, going and going and going. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, no. Oh, my God. Like, incredible. Like, here's my card. Like, it was just, like, going and going and going. And I was like, wow, there's no doubt that you really like it. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) This is amazing. Right. (laughs) So what did you do? That I mean, that was kind of a... You know, I didn't, at the time, I was, like, really excited about it, but I didn't realize that that was such, like, a catalyst for me. But um, Mm -hmm. I really leaned into making stuff after that. I just didn't realize that's why I leaned into it, I think. And then quarantine, too. And also quarantine plus, like, the, like, George Floyd protests, which were so mixed feeling for me because I was already, like, very into the idea of abolition. And then I was seeing all these, like, kids from my high school that were, like, violently racist posting black squares you know so i'm like this is nice but like can can i get a dm at least you know so i think that was a time of creation for me too but yeah i mean it's complicated because i was so happy to see abolition come into the like common mindset and like even if you're not about it like you've heard defund the police which is a step to abolition so I was happy and, like, excited to see so many people talking about it. But at the same time, it's like, when is this going to end? And it did end. Like, 
I'm still going out every week protesting, and the crowds are way smaller than they used to be. Like, it did end for so many people. And it also was like, okay, but where were you? And on one hand, I'm like, I'm not faulting you. Like, I'm not faulting people for when you wake up, because at least you're here now, but are you really? And a lot of people weren't. Something that I've been trying to do just for, like, my own mental health and, like, the way I see people is realizing that even the people who aren't showing up aren't my enemy. Like, no person is. It's these systems. Mm. To get, like, so caught up on, like, all these people that I feel like are apologists or complacent is exhausting and, like, not going to lead me anywhere. Focusing systematically, because I'm like, <laughs> I've, I've unfriended enough people. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a very powerful point. I would love to hear more on that, of focusing on the systems rather than the people. Yeah, well, I mean, I was probably, like, high or something. It's legal in New York, so I can say that. But <laughs> I was probably, like, high or something when I came to this conclusion. But I was like, there's... Which, yes, weed helps with creativity can oh. you just normalize that oh like, yeah uh, for sure because it, it, it <laughs> i mean when i'm high i'm just like i'm my best friend like i mean yes! i've already yes! i think i have a good relationship with myself but when i when i'm like in my apartment alone and smoke i like catch myself in the mirror and i'm like oh hey like i'm so fun That's hilarious <laughs> I uh, when I was growing up Christian there was always a time where like I don't want to be the person that gets high alone like that's a real druggy and it's then the now best I kind. It. it's the best kind I feel so connected I feel spiritual you love yourself you want to yeah. create you feel endless like possibilities so like hell yes talk about the fact that this beautiful idea came to you when you were high yeah yeah I mean I was like like I've obviously been high with other people and like with like a few people it's fine but like in a group in like at like a party or something like I've been fine and it's happened but I'm like like I don't really enjoy it like I do when I'm like by myself or with a friend like it's just like you're so connected I really like it but yeah this idea came to me when I was high and I was like even like these people with these views that I think are like fucked up this is like really this is probably more like we're all one than I actually think but this was like my high mind and I needed to get to this place in that mind but I think it's beautiful being like even these people with like all these like really like fucked up views or these views that I think are fucked up at the end of the day like they're holding these views because the system that we're in isn't working for them either even if it's working for them way more than it works for someone like me like it still isn't working for them because even even the people that benefit the most from these oppressive systems Like, no one's free until we're all free. Like, it's still not working for you because you're still working in a cycle of oppression. So these views where it's, like, so bigoted or, like, so harmful, it's not excusable, but it also is a result of the fact that you're trying to live the best you can in these horrible systems, which, Mm -hmm. like, sounds like close to being apologist which i am not at all but (laughs) i still think we need to hold people accountable for being bigoted for being harmful for being oppressive but nothing is so black and white and there's like we're all oh god no no i'm not gonna say that i was gonna say we're all trying to survive these systems i was like no some people are thriving some people are thriving in these systems like well but maybe though right like there could be people that seem to be thriving mm-hmm. from a perspective of what 
privilege, but like, are they thriving as holistic beings, like right. in community and all these things? Like, exactly. I think because you said it earlier of like, even the people who are thriving really are suffering. Yeah, exactly. Even if they don't know what it is, because we don't like what our definition is of thriving is so. Yes. Yes, I would agree, right? Because, like, yeah. financially wealthy people are typically not the happiest people. And I, so say it. Yeah. I think I'm trying to practice, like, radical empathy, like, really being able to empathize with a lot of different people. It, I really kind of lose it with, like, wealthy white people. Like, it's really hard. But I can actually ra- empathize more with, like, some, like, poor racist white Southern person because you're blaming black people for your problems but your problems aren't real that's didn't come from nowhere like like okay i can empathize more but from a distance obviously like your views are so violent i still think they're unequivocally wrong and i can't denounce them enough but i think that it didn't come from nowhere like poor whites used to rebel with the slaves and then like the elite started giving poor whites more privileges and pitting them against the slaves because when they worked together they were too powerful this isn't coming from nowhere these these horrible violent views still are coming from the system that i'm trying to fight so at the end of the day like that's what the real enemy is not these people i always say to like people i know in the movement like to me abolition isn't like killing cops abolition is the cops taking off their uniforms and joining us because they're the lowest mm. rung on the system we're trying to abolish. And I'm not saying people are going to embrace you with open arms because you still need to like reconcile with the harm you've caused as a person because you do have free will and you're choosing to be in that position. But I can't be an abolitionist and believe that anyone is beyond reproach. Then prisons would work, right? Like if we could just throw away a whole person and it would solve problems. This is bringing up a lot of ideas about transformational justice Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah this concept of like everyone can change but do we inherently like actually believe that i do okay this is what i've come to yeah i do believe that and even if i didn't believe that even if like i were to put my mind in a space where i don't believe that everyone is capable of like rehabilitation I don't believe there's a person capable of deciding who is and who isn't. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Who's so, the judge to do yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. So we have to we have to work from a space as if everyone is. But 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 like our whole society is not doing that at all in the slightest. We are judging every day about who is able and able to not be re- rehabilitated into Absolutely. society with the prison complex. Like Absolutely. Yeah. So And I, you know, okay, this is a little bit unrelated, but I'm thinking about these concepts of what you're saying of like, everyone can be transformed. And specifically within my life, there was someone within my cohort who wanted to do a research dissertation on pedophiles. Mm -hmm. And how do you rehabilitate pedophiles back into society and like actually work with them to deal with these things. And like, the concept of transformational justice and sexual assault and mm-hmm. that concept, this is where I start to my internal, like, things. I'm just like, no, like, that can't be fixed. Like, uh, and, like, dealing with that work of, like, actually living into this concept of all these systems have created these problems that we right. see. And it's the systems and not the person. Taking that to a full view of, like, all the horrors and atrocities that we see in this world and really living into that – 
I just want to say it feels hard for me personally yeah. when I think about, yeah, people who could as- who assault children and, like, do those people have space to be transformed? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I agree. It's hard. <sighs> yes. I agree. It's, like, it's unequivocally hard. Things that I keep in mind as, like, core principles with, like, dealing with those hard things is, like, violence never happens in a vacuum. People aren't just violent. Like, what violence have they faced that has led them to this point, not as an excuse, but as a why, maybe, and as a space to have a better understanding of how they might be able to be rehabilitated. And then, like, okay, not how do we right the wrong of what happened? It's like, how do we right what allowed this to happen in the first place? My other thing is, like, you know, we're not putting away rapists and pedophiles now, really. No, like, we're not. <laughs> like, you know, so, yeah. so... So let's embrace the problem and deal with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead of putting them away, because we're not even doing that. Like, we're not putting away people who commit sexual assault. We're, we're, no, and if we're putting we're them away, not. they're not getting a life sentence. Not that I'm advocating no. for that, but when you come out, you're, you're more likely to commit a crime in the system that we have. So we're <sighs> just perpetuating more crime and more violence. Everything that you're saying, when I am listening and trying to really feel what you're saying of transformational justice is looking at the structures and focusing our energy towards the structures that have created the people that are in this space. Mm-hmm. When Then when I take it away from the person in front of me and into the larger concept of structures, I inherently become overwhelmed by how large they are and how I feel like I can't change them. Yeah. And so – And Adrienne Marie Brown was talking about how, like, it's important not to get stuck in that space and instead go into the radical imagination space, which Mm -hmm. is exactly what you're talking about of, like, okay, so how do we think and how do we create? Yeah, I absolutely feel that. I feel that. And something that I've been leaning into that honestly helps me, because I've been protesting so much, like, more than probably was good for me. And I I took a step away a few months, a month ago or a few weeks ago and realized like okay how do I reevaluate my space my place in this space because I think this space is really important radical dharma I saw that you're a yoga instructor and I read this during my yoga teacher training not through my training which was like the most whitewashed horrible thing but oh my god the the book radical dharma talks about like healing as justice and if you love from a place of unhealed violence your love is inherently violent so like thinking about how me in this space is not just like not good for me, but I can't actually be good for anyone else either or for the community or for the cause. So something that's been helping me with the helplessness is mutual aid. I think you can't talk about radical imagination and be talking about this world you want to create and envision because being able to do that is a privilege. So if you're not actually like in the community providing aid, we're, like you have to have some praxis with the theory. So I've been involved in mutual aid where it's just like, you know, we go to like Port Authority and give a ton of meals, a ton of clothes, and it's just like posting on Instagram, anyone have clothes that they want to get rid of, gathering them from friends, having friends. I mean, I'm, in, I'm part of this amazing community through the Stonewall protests that are like, I, I'm not even organizing this stuff. I'm just helping out at it. And it feels so like, it, it's so impactful, like just putting out a call to action, being like, does people with kitchens, can you cook 50 meals and prepackage them? And 20 people do it, and we're giving out, like, thousands of meals. I think that's something that can be really helpful with, like, dismantling the systems. Mutual aid is really empowering because it's like, okay, 
even though these systems have to be dismantled, we don't have to wait for them to be dismantled to take care of people. So that's been, like, really... I think it's I think it's essential. Like, I think I'm glad I have my, like, education, I guess, around, um, like, the civil rights movement because it's not just about, like, boycotts and being in the streets and fighting. It's about, like, taking care of people, educating people, like, really building a community. Like, that's what, like, SNCC did, the Black Panthers did. Like, that's not... I don't, I don't feel like that's talked about enough because I think that's just as, if not more important. I'm vibing so much with what you're saying because... I've probably been waiting for the perfect person to be on the podcast to hit this level of conversation because this is exactly why I called the show Modern Anarchy. I don't think we always need to be fighting. I think a lot of it can be love and just pure conversation. And this is exactly what you're talking about. This, It's not all black and white, as you said earlier. There are small but larger actions, you know, consequentially of doing the mutual aid and how that impacts the larger system. And you have to be able to see the larger systems and look at the small and not get lost in it and still recognize that you have to keep your eye on both. If you focus too much on the bigger systems, you get overwhelmed. If you focus too much on the small systems, you feel like I'm just making a drop in the water. What's the point? Yeah. And it's like sitting in that gray space between the two of acknowledging both and still moving through it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think, yeah, you can be different actors, too. I think that's been a big thing for me because I've been about the idea that, oh, yeah, some people are going to provide food. Some people are going to be in the streets. And I felt like I was a person who was in the streets. And now I'm like... I'm in the streets sometimes, and sometimes I'm a biker, and sometimes I'm gathering clothes for a mutual aid event. Like, you can you can be different actors, and we kind of have to be. And sometimes you're in the studio making a beautiful book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, why be defined by one identity piece of how you can contribute to the movement? Mm-hmm. And it's, like, burnout is so real. So, like, there's the part of, like, you should be doing all these different things to help you with burnout, but also because other people are going to be burnout. And if there's only one person or only a few people who know how to do this thing, then who when do they get to take a break? Right, exactly. It's So you'll have to read Emergent Strategy, obviously, next on the list. For I've read, I've read some of Emergent Strategy. I really like it. Yeah, just this concept of like, you don't always need to be the leader. Sometimes you can sit back and let other people take that space and like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to just be one. But yeah, and actually living into that, which is why I love them and all the work that they do of like, how do you actually do that? Taking breaks. You were talking about how you didn't create a lot during the quarantine and there was a lot going on and like recognizing the seasons of different times in your life. And it's really just this movement of there are times where you want to create, there are times where you want to serve, there are times of this, and it really is a cycle and a movement, which I think Mm -hmm. is so beautiful that you've given yourself the freedom to not be like, oh, I'm an artist, this is all I do, or oh, I'm an abolitionist, this is all I do here, and like really just allow all your different passions and avenues to really show up in this space and take different modalities. Yeah, yeah, I think that's... It's great to hear you say that because I think sometimes I'm like, I'm just a Libra. I'm indecisive, but <laughs> there's, no, I'm just have- interested in a lot of things. Yeah. And care about a lot of things. Exactly. And why the hell do you have to pick one? Yeah. What if you're just a badass? Like, what if you're <laughs> just really good at everything you do? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah, I, I think I teeter because there's sometimes I'm like, I know people who are like, so into like 
who I love, who, like, I get to, like, really learn so much from, but, like, so into, like, communist, like, theory, like, hardcore, and they're, like, dope, and they, like, do the praxis, too, but I'm, like, man, you know so much, if I could just, like, because, like, right now I'm reading, like, a fiction book about, like, I don't know, like, this, like, black queer girl moving to New York City, and I'm, like, oh, familiar, but, (laughs) like, (laughs) I'm, like, if I could just, like, go or like reading poetry or like writing poetry or like doing art like I'm interested I do yoga like I'm like oh if I could just really dive in for like a whole summer just on like communist theory I could be so knowledgeable but now but there's ways a multi-hyphenate I learned that on TikTok and it has been like Mm. a game changer that's what I call myself now a multi-hyphenate artist I don't know what that means tell me it's like like a hyphen so like artist hyphen abolitionist hyphen poet hyphen teacher hyphen you know so i'm a multi-hyphenate oh my god right yeah i'm right right yeah a writer podcaster artist yoga instructor Mm -hmm. doctoral student it's like why do we have to pick one it's like leaning into the idea of being a multi-hyphenate has been like now i'm like oh wait this isn't just like okay it's like cool like i'm a multi-hyphenate interesting (laughs) i love that so much There's been so many times in my life where I'm like, why don't I have this one thing I'm passionate about? Mm -hmm. Why don't I have this thing that ever, you know, like growing up, people seem to have these ideas of like, this is what I want to do. This is who I am and like focus it. And I've never been that person. Right. I don't know if you resonate with that of like just being so drawn into everything that the world has to offer. Yeah, that resonates with me a lot. I mean, I my program in school was individualized study. Like I made my own major. (laughs) And so badass. (laughs) I started out in political science and journalism and then I transferred to the school of individualized study because I was like wait I don't want to learn about the systems I want to burn down what do you mean yes. <laughs> but, you know loosely but the no, but actually <laughs> the individualized study I started out doing civil rights on like kind of like a pre-law track and then moved into sustainable fashion and oh, then wow found art and activism I loved my program because I felt like it was so it was big on like interdisciplinary and all of these things informed each other yes I took maybe two classes in college where I'm like those didn't inform my concentration but they informed what I didn't want so I guess they still did you know but like I took a class like an art history class that talked about like Damnato Morte, which was like the one in ancient Egypt, like the next ruler would completely erase the face of the ruler in front of them or before them. And like that was like the biggest disgrace. It like erased their existence to erase their face like from everything. And then I ended up writing a paper on that with like the same talking about like say their names with like the Black Lives Matter movement, like talking about like erasure in that way well, and it's just like yeah. all these things just like they everything informs everything oh my god these horns someone is mad on my street honking their horns so loud it's new york what it's can new you york. expect <laughs> <laughs> okay so i want to just say you were talking earlier about the person who has studied marx communist theory and if you could be that person you would know so much and I just want to mirror back to you that you are teaching me <laughs> just in this very dialogue about art and theory and different things that I had known nothing about. And so I look at you as a wealth of information about these things because this you created your own major studying these things. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And I guess you know, that goes back to like the capitalist competition a little bit. 
Like, it's like, ooh, you're more of an abolitionist than me. Ooh, you study, you're more of a leftist. You know more theory. Like, you know, that's so silly and so not the point. And I think it's all about the perspective, right? Because if you look at the other person and say, wow, they have so... You said comparison is death. And here we are again reflecting on how comparison is death. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because you're looking at that person saying they know so much. And I look at you and I say they know so much right. you know and and then someone looks at me and we all do this dance of like why don't i know more right and it's like let's just learn from each other and be excited about it yes yeah. yes because i feel like you have a wealth of knowledge creating your own even just create your own major and direct yourself in that way it takes a level of internal self of like where do i want to go that a lot of people would find particularly overwhelming right sometimes mm-hmm. teachers give you a prompt literally just because Students are too afraid to create their own idea of what they want to write in a paper, you know? Mm, yeah. I think that's one of my strengths, probably. I'm like, my mom would definitely agree with this. She was like, you get a bee in your bonnet, is what she always says. Like, when I decide I want to do something, I want to do it. And I'm so about Hell it. Hell yes. And then two weeks later, like, maybe not. But for those two <laughs> weeks, like, I am, like, so about it. So when it comes to, like, deciding what I want to do as a major... I guess I was just so about art history and I was so about like, so I mean, I've always been about civil rights, but in terms of like my course of study, um, so about like going to law school, so about like starting a sustainable fashion brand and then like realizing they all informed each other, I think was like a growth moment for me being like, oh, I'm not just like wasting my time on spouts of things. I'm learning and they're connecting and everything's connected. Starting in political science and journalism. Journalism actually gave me a really good understanding of like freedom of speech and activism in a way because I was taking a lot of like first amendment law classes and political science was like okay so I can't learn in like 200 person lectures with like once a week rest like I can't do it I guess that was huge for me in terms of learning how I learn and what I want to learn I was learning so much about like different countries political systems but I felt like I wasn't actually like Like, in my other program, I felt like I was learning how to, like, write, how to, like, examine, how to, like, really think about a piece, how to, like, decipher language, how to, like, form my own opinions, how to, like, think about things critically and address my biases. Like, the content doesn't matter when you have the skills to decipher any content, you know? Hell yes. Yeah. As an English major degree holder, yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I stole that line from my other sister, actually, a little bit, because she's a um, teacher, and I'm about to be a teacher, and I, I was kind of saying the same thing to her, and she was like, this is what you need to remember as a teacher. You need the skills more than the content. I'm like, yes, you're so right. Yes. I don't know. I'm super thankful for my English lit degree. I don't remember all of the books that I read. Not at all. Yeah. But it did teach you to think of just, here's something. What are my thoughts on it? And how do I communicate that? Yes. Well, and that's a skill literally in and of itself that I never got in my chemistry classes. Mm -hmm. Although physics did push me to like think about things in a whole different way and basically not trust reality, which I think was inherently healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The first time I I was a pre-med, so I like was learning about gravity and just all this stuff and like... We took like this exam before the class to see what your concepts and knowledge of physics were. And I I got like one out of 50, right? Oh, wow. Everything I thought of like how motion works, how gravity works, all that stuff was wrong. (laughs) And I was just like, okay, because it's fascinating. I think that subjects truly at their deepest level, right? I'm going to geek out with you a little bit. 
uh, on my side of things I like to study of like quantum mechanics of understanding what the atom does. We currently don't know what happens to the atom. So I would say it takes radical imagination at the physics high mathematical level to think of different ways that the atoms could be interacting with each other. Because currently we, we don't know and it's just theories and we're just testing, waiting to find out if we can get the instruments deep enough to actually know. So like really all of life when you take it into these levels requires just r- such radical imagination to understand it. And we forget thinking that science has the answers and all these other things and really like we're all making this up. We need to think more, <laughs> expand our perspectives. and That's like, so true. I, I've never thought about that, but it makes sense because inherently anything where – when you know there's like any topic where it's like oh that just makes my mind hurt like oh I don't want to think that's too much like that's yeah like anything with atoms when I think about like oh you never really even touch anything it's just like vibrations or whatever like Mm -hmm. no I don't want to no stop too much you're gonna like make me tweak but (laughs) (laughs) that's literally what I was thinking about yesterday I was like if atoms are mostly open space then why when we go to touch them does it feel like a hard object yeah, okay. Like, yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, apparently, it, it's because our atoms, when they, they're existing in movement with each other, and then when you go to actually push on them, we do not have the force in our muscles to actually make the atoms collide. So mm. when, you, when you touch things, it's about whether your atoms can actually like force it, and that's with your muscles of physics like applying the force. But because the atoms are so not, you know – charged and wanting to do that it's going to push back from you it's wild Mm. the fact that like in just in physics when you push on an object it pushes you back and that like i just never thought in those ways you can expand Um, that to literally so much pushback thank you thank you i literally i feel crazy half the time because i if i can just gather about myself for like two seconds yeah Physics and all these ideas, I read them and then I take, uh, I hear them. I was watching like a lecture last night on YouTube because this kind of stuff just fascinates me and gets me so excited because I also have a very lit brain and I'm like, interesting, how do we apply what we know about science into our understanding of human psychology and the self in like this artistic way? And then I say that to people in the arts and they look at me like I'm crazy. Mm. And then I say that to people in science and they look at me like I'm crazy because they're like, you're talking about emotions. What are you talking about? And then I just sit back and I'm like, ah. It's literally all connected. Everyone's just too pretentious. Artists and like like liberal arts people are like, oh my God, like science, they have like no creativity. Like, yeah, they know how to do equations, but we know how to think. And then scientists mm-hmm. are like, you guys don't know any real fact. Like, it's just like ridiculous. Like, it's all stupid. We also both know nothing. Yes, exactly. Well, the tricky thing with science is you have to learn basic facts to be able to get to the level to be an artist in science. That's true. Yeah. And like at the highest level, the people who really know mathematics, uh, I was the lecture I was talking about literally last night was talking about the concept of black holes. And when you apply, yeah, I know, we're geeking. Um, when you apply the the idea of black holes of like, could there be a space where matter gets sucked in so strongly that it can't escape back out was just a concept someone had in their ideas based on the mathematical structure of equations and what could possibly happen. And then for years, they spent time looking for black holes to see if this idea was literally real. And then they did. And they found out it's a real thing. And like, that level of thought is art that is creativity at its finest someone literally was just like i mean you know they had some 
some knowledge behind it, but like, oh yeah, black holes, the things that I don't understand, no one really understands, just exist. And then people spent years looking for him, and it did. Like, <laughs> clearly anything is possible. Well, right, exactly. And I think that same level of thought is what we're talking about within your space, right? Yeah. Like, we understand the world. There are some inherent mathematical structures that are currently existing in this space right now. But is there the possibility for a different future? Yes. And mm-hmm. this is where we start to get creative and think about it. And then we start to implement the studying to see if we can make this happen. And it takes that same level of just like liberation of your mind to actually just think outside of the structures and live in that. Yeah. I think like the things that frustrate me the most are people saying like, that's never going to happen. That literally like anyone who means, don't say those words to me ever. Like even if I agree with you, you, you don't know that like that's so a way to shoot something down yeah that's never gonna happen that's not realistic or like people talk about human nature like people will be like oh yeah well it's human nature like survival of the fittest and stuff and I'm like we don't have to live like that though like we can have mutual care and care for each other like it's not human nature it's capitalism that's telling us we have to be com- com- in competition the only thing that's making it at this point, at least, the only thing that's making it so we have to have winners and losers is our economic system. That's not, which is, we're putting on our, not we, but you know, that's created, like. It's wild. When you think about the survival of the fittest, they're changing that perspective to more a concept of collective care as being potentially the better way to understand our evolution. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I mean, okay, let's just think about nature for a second. How often does nature have one species that takes over the entire space and just kills out all the other creatures? It doesn't. We have cycles, right? There's predators, you know, and prey and all those sorts of things. But never before have we seen a species that has just drastically destroyed other people's habitats. And that's what we're doing as humans on this earth. And it's clearly not going well for us with global warming and other things like that. And it's just like... I really don't think that that survival of the fittest capitalistic energy is what's going to help us and what truly is reflective of nature in general. Yeah, that's a good point. I've never thought about it like that. We are destroying the earth at a rapid pace. Right. <clears throat> that Talk about something with like feeling disempowered. Like I'm not really, I've done some activism around like a pipeline that they're trying to run in Brooklyn, but like not much. And it, it that that kind of activism feels valuable to me, but generally, like, environmental concern is so, and, like, climate change is so over, because it's like, okay, say I live zero waste. I'm vegan. I live zero waste. Like, still, you know, like, the, the yeah. that's where I feel so individually disempowered. But what we just talked about earlier, it's the same perspective, a drop in the water, right? The mutual aid that you're doing it feels small but you know that that makes ripple differences yeah but in a different way still because mm, it's it's people people. yeah exactly like you're helping literal people pay their rent you know like that Mm -hmm. that feels so much more yeah it's really hard all of our society is so disconnected from all the actual reality of the things that we do and live and breathe like even just the concept of eating meat, right? Like I, I'm yeah. not there for the butchering of the animal. And if I was, how would I feel about that? We've just be- pulled so many things away from their inherent nature. Mm-hmm. And I think that sustainability and how we create things at this bigger structure, mass production has really pulled us away from the connection of like, 
yeah, what am I buying? Is this ethical? All these other things. Exactly. Like, maybe, yeah. If you had it on the same like people level scale of like, oh, we're bartering. I see you mm-hmm. human. It would feel different. There was like a some article about like farmers markets that talked about. That's that. what I was going to say. Should yeah. we go to farmers markets? Yeah. Is this the oh, solution? I have a really i they, I have a really good piece. We read Shadow Places. I think Val Plumwood is the author, and the idea of Shadow Places is like instead of um, looking for locality, acknowledge your Shadow Places. So like if mm. you're getting clothing that's made in Bangladesh, then let's change mm-hmm. our culture so that we care just as much about Bangladesh as we do about our backyard. As, like, we care about the people in Bangladesh just as much as we do about our neighbors. We care about the environment just as much as we do as our local park. You know, like, not advocating for locality so much as advocating for responsibility for, like, where your products are coming from. But not, it, it, it's hard because that can easily sl- slip into the, oh, buy ethical, like, shop ethical, like, which I think is often a cop-out so this is like meant to be like a more like like radical reshaping of how we even think about our products in the first place how do you think that's a cop-out i'd be curious to hear your thoughts i think that a lot of times we find like or like oh well that was made in a sweatshop and it's like yes it was but okay like yeah, we should be advocating to not have things made in sweatshops, of course, but it's also like, okay, are you advocating for fair and living wages for the people that are in the sweatshops, or are you just buying it from somewhere else and, like, still taking work away from those people, even if it mm-hmm. is sweatshop work? Like, I feel like the advocacy a lot of times turns into, like, a feel-good for me, like, oh, I buy local, I shop ethical, not, like, an actual advocacy for the people that you're supposed to be advocating for like oh yeah i wouldn't buy nike shoes like they use sweatshops it's like okay well how are you advocating for those workers in the sweatshops oh no you're just only buying rothy's instead you know like that's a little yeah it's i i think there's there's value in a boycott but it's also like okay is this like self-gratifying or are you actually trying to help people what is the word value uh presenting like Mm -hmm. i know what you're talking about i know exactly what you're talking about yeah. Yeah, you know, virtue it's like, signaling. Virtue signaling. Yes. Yeah. If I shop at a farmer's market and then I post about where I bought my flowers or whatever, it's virtue signaling that mm-hmm. I'm the person who doesn't support this while living in the comfort of doing nothing to support the people that are stuck in those structures. Exactly. And that's me. Like I go drop off my compost like bi weekly at the farmer's market. I go get some farmer's market like wine. I go and I hang out in the park with my friends and I'm like, oh just grab this from the farmer market in my little tote bag you know like totally guilty of it it's just like eek (laughs) you know it's just a lot to think about (laughs) well right boy I think I I wanted to ask you when you as someone who's very aware and passionate about all these things how do you maintain a level of mental health knowing there are so many endless structures that need dismantling I think like just knowing that like there's a million other people like me and I'm not the only one fighting this fight. And endlessly helpful, because before it's just kind of like turn it off, but endlessly helpful the movements that have been kind of birthed out of this past summer. I'm so involved in community with so many people that feel the same way as me now that I find so much comfort in that. Like last night was the one year anniversary of the Stonewall protests that I've been going to. And like they had in balloons like abolition. And I was like, like I like almost started crying. I was like, I've literally not even a year ago, like, 
knew no one else who would self-identify as an abolitionist and like these people were all here and a lot most of them not even introduced to the idea of abolition yet but because of like i mean queen jean joelle those are the main organizers like really like educating people and bringing people out and people are about it and that's really valuable to me yeah is there anywhere you would plug to maybe someone who's listening and resonating with everything that you're saying but doesn't yet have the community that you've acquired yeah i mean joelle on instagram joelle rivera queen jean queen with a w instead of a u on instagram they're like two black trans women who have taught me so much and have taught other people so much and Venmo them because they have like constant free labor of and free education. I'm a big advocate, especially if like you have a salary and especially if you're white. As much as you open your mouth or more than you open your mouth, like open your wallet. Because mm. it's if you have money in this system, there's some level of exploitation attached to it. So it's your job to share it. Right. I don't think everyone's doing that. No. Oh, no, no, no. Definitely not. I talked about that, like, I saw a TikTok that was like, when you're leaving your house in New York, make sure you have singles, because you have a house to leave. So you should be giving people money. Like, especially if you're not from the city. You're inherently part of some level of gentrification. You have a house to leave. So I don't do that. Yeah. Is that bad? Right? Like, is <laughs> I mean, like, inherently, like, bad, wrong, what, whatever we want right. to say about that. Right. But, like... I I I live in Chicago. I see homeless people all the time. Technically, I don't have a house. I live in a studio apartment with tons of student loans. So it's like, does that apply to me? Um. So I found this really good resource recently about like budgeting for mutual aid because it has to be sustainable, right? Like, you. But even if it's like, okay, five dollars this week, I'm gonna break a five, and then I have five singles, and then once those are gone, that's all I have to give. But even just being in the mindset of, like, giving is really great. Or, like, you know, like, I know all these people that are, like, getting, like, these, like, impressive, like, job offers or, like, or, like, at, like, law firms, like, interning and stuff. And they have all these, like, Uber Eats credits or, like, catered lunches. It's like, okay, how can you try to redistribute some of that? I don't know. It's about giving where you can. I don't think it's giving money is important. I think it, I think it's part of it. Because we need money to survive right now. Oh, you're laughing at the horns. Someone's like, no. What's funny is when they'll they'll all start honking their horns and then someone will be laying in their horn and then someone will be like, go out their window and be like, shut the fuck up. And then the people in the street will like flip them off and then everyone from like their windows will be leaning over and flipping people off. Like hilarious. How has New York changed you? (laughs) I love New York. I like, there are these people playing music really loud on the street and someone called the police on them and I was like, okay. Obviously, I'm against that in general, but you're going to really call the police on someone before you lean out of your window and yell at them? Like, that's so against, like, the New York Code of Ethics. Like, you got to at least try, like, berating them yeah, first. Like, <laughs> like clearly, you haven't been here very long. Like, that's not how we do things. <laughs> I don't think Chicago has that same culture. <laughs> do you hear it? Wait, there are... They're screaming. Are they arguing? They're arguing. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's hilarious. Lively. New York in action. <laughs> it's lively. When That's Joe Biden funny. won, I just heard screaming. And I was like, did they announce the results? I was playing um, like that song, Fuck Donald Trump, on a speaker out of my window. 
people were like screaming and cheering out of their windows it was Ah, great amazing people i walk outside people are just popping bottles of champagne in the street like it was the craziest thing i've ever seen I think that will be a historic moment. Yeah, I went downtown when it was announced out front of Trump Towers since it's in downtown Chicago. Mm-hmm. We were all out there dancing in the streets and just celebrating and like had a natural parade. I think I think of the World War II moment where they have people kissing and like, mm-hmm. the, oh, the war's over. Like, I, I do really think that when history looks back on this era and this time, that day will be a very historic moment. Yeah, I told – I. I totally agree. It was really crazy. I've never seen like collective joy like that. That was a day where I was like, okay, just turn it off because I didn't, I don't like Joe Biden. Obviously, like from everything I've said, I don't like Joe Biden. I'm not a Joe Biden fan. But to see everyone so happy and celebrating together, I was like, okay, just enjoy this because this is like just not something that happens. Yep. And on top of that situation, it was also quarantine. So, like, just the level of special historical moment to have people naturally come out into the streets and take over. Yeah. Mm. You know someone's going to write that in a history book one day. That's so true. It's interesting to be living through history. I've seen, like, tweets that are like, okay, I'm good. I've had enough history. I'm good. I'm done. Yeah. Like, like, I can just – I would love to tell my my grandkids, oh, yeah, after the quarantine – boring nothing yeah no i know i agree it's like a, this is enough for one year of transformative change in right. me i don't know if i wanted to continue that question of like the pain thing because i i think i just do want to like recognize the level is like i'm not doing that work yeah and um i also don't have cash on me like ever at all i know it had to be an active thing that i started doing because i just okay yeah that's not something i do i don't have cash ever yeah. but but like, I mean, but okay, this is all excuses, right? Like, I could easily, I shop at Aldi all the time. They ask, do you want cash back? I could mm-hmm. easily just get a five and, a, and ask it to be ones. Like, this could become a practice, but like, it's just, I've never thought about doing that. I think that's what's so exciting about doing stuff like this, though, because it inter- I made a zine on this, like, brush your teeth, fuck the system was the zine. And it was like, like, how can you integrate the revolution into your daily life? Like the zine was like, hop the turnstile, the, the MTA, like the public transit in New York city pays for more police. Don't pay for the MTA if you can. Like if, if you're not afraid of running into the police and make sure there's no police around, but like, or like if you see police behind the turnstile, leave a sticky note on the turnstile that says cops behind the turnstile. So people behind you don't get caught hopping or like, carry ones around with you to give to people to redistribute wealth because all wealth is in some way unethical like oh i had another one oh stop talking to cops <laughs> like if cops are like ask you something just don't talk they're trained liars just don't say anything even if you think it's harmless it's always less harmful to just not talk to them so just like things like that like how can you and i think that's when the revolution really really is like Yes, it's going to marches. Yes, it's, like, doing these specific things. But, like, how can you make, like... I wrote... I also wrote a short story on, like, hopping the turnstile. I got really into this because hopping the turnstile kind of, like, sparked something in me. I was, like, I'm making, like, the commuters my comrades now. I'm, like, doing these actions and no one knows about it. And I know about it. And I get to see the cops later and, like, walk past them and be, like, yeah, I didn't pay the fare, but you don't know that. Well, I think this is very interesting because it really redefines what's, like, good, bad, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're technically stealing, but dismantling a problematic structure in doing so, which I say is good. 
But like, if you just look at the stealing piece, someone would be like, that's, that's inappropriate. You should not be doing that. Right. You know and what I mean? And that's just the difference <laughs> of like, do you think, okay, is it wrong because it's a law or is it wrong because you think it's wrong? And do you think laws have always been right? Because let's talk about no, slavery. Exactly. Like, yes. You know? Exactly. Like. Exactly. No, I agree. This is totally my form of anarchy of hop the turnstile. Open the door for the people behind you and invite them to come through the door. Because they're not going to be like, oh, I know, I'd rather pay. You know? like It's inherently anti-capitalist. I think with hopping the turnstile, it's like, okay, you're taking money away from the government and the public transport should be free anyways our taxes are high enough where they just don't choose to prioritize that so let's just make it free so they have to you know like it's not even like it's just creating the world that you want to create (laughs) and part of that requires hopping the turnstile yeah and that's what was so great about like the i wasn't in the city then but when people were doing like the rent strike like yeah rent should be frozen so we're just not gonna pay like amazing public transport should be free so we're just not gonna pay if you pay for the subway and because the subway's 275 each time like it's not cheap it adds up and like so they're like if you pay for the subway because you're afraid of getting caught and like that's still an option for you every time you pay for the subway you have to donate your equal amount of your subway fare to a mutual aid or like a protest organization like you then or venmo like a black trans woman Two seventy five. What a call out! Yeah, it's like that's fine if you want to do that, but and I try to do that because sometimes I get scared and I'm like, oh my god, I can't hop, I can't do it, and then I tap, and then I'm reminded that like, oh, I have the option to tap. Wow, like, this is a statement for me, not like a necessity. That's a very important perspective of what level of privilege we have on even like the small day to day things. Yeah, like, two seventy five fare. Yeah, or like sometimes I'll see like the cops pull. You get a hundred dollar ticket if you skip the fare crazy wow clearly the option here if we were actually just trying to whatever if we actually needed to pay for public transport if that were the goal of all this would be oh go back through and tap please and what's so crazy it's a power thing because i've seen cops standing on the other side of the turnstile and someone go excuse me like i don't have the fare can you let me through and they're like oh yeah of course but if someone hops without asking their permission first then it's a hundred dollar ticket Hmm. Like what it's do you like that? it's all it's all power. It's like, oh yes, good sir. You asked for my permission. You had the right power dynamics. Like, <laughs> of course I'll allow you because I'm so kind. Oh, you just hopped. You thought you could just do that without asking it. You thought you like you could just make that decision for yourself. You don't think you're at like my beck and call, at my will, at my good grace. And it's this so is why up. you hop the turnstile to make a difference. That <laughs> is amazing. And I love this energy that you brought. I do one of the things I ask every person on this podcast, regardless of whatever we've just talked about, I always close with one question of what is one thing that you wish other people understood was more normal? Mm, I would say thinking that everything is super fucked up. <laughs> I think I had that realization like going into the professional world a little bit before I graduated but being like is this just how people live this is how and it's like this is just how it is it's like okay okay but this is messed up right like that we shouldn't be living like this right and like every I feel like everyone feels that way in some way but there's like some just level of accept it's like well that's just how it is yeah would you say that's normalizing the anger uh maybe normalizing the disillusionment I the discontentment I guess 
discontent feels a little like not even strong enough you know but like normalizing the yeah I feel like we medicate for medicine, but also just, like, drugs, alcohol, like, a million exercise, like, so many things. I feel like we medicate for a lot of just trying to exist in things that are just really fucked up. And it's okay to just be like, this is really... And it's okay to be like, this is the life I have to live still. But this is really fucked up. <laughs> like The validity of the inherently problematic structures. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And that everyone, everyone in at least a little bit feels it. They I, I really do believe that everyone does. And okay, like we can acknowledge that it's fucked up and I, I can still acknowledge that you have to survive. Say the discontent from oppression. Yeah. Yeah. Does that feel but accurate? even I but even I don't think because I don't think everyone sees it as oppression, you know? But that's the point. Yeah, I want to normalize true. that the point is everyone is oppressed, you yeah. know, and like yeah. there is discontent here and that some people don't without looking at it, you might not see it that way. You could see it in other facets, but really we are all being oppressed by inherently problematic structures that we hope yeah. to dismantle. Yep. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, this has been really great. It's been lovely to chat with you and just hear your story and your mind and all the inherent beauty that is you. <laughs> Thank you. Same here. Yes. This was a great conversation. Good. I'm glad. Is there somewhere you want to plug for people to find your work, your art? At Abolition is Liberation. Perfect. <laughs> <Shocking>. Amazing. <laughs> no, no, it's great. I love it. Great. It was lovely to chat with you. Let me end. If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Your Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show.